Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode nine of the Fabulously Keto podcast. Today we're interviewing Lisa Bailey and I know I sat next to Lisa at the PHC conference in 2019 and we spent quite a lot of time with her, didn't we? Yeah, she was lovely. Louise, tell us a little bit about Lisa. Lisa is a 52-year-old and hails originally from Bournemouth in the south of England. She is a qualified personal trainer with special certification in kettlebell training HIIT training and cardio kickboxing. Plus, she is also a qualified naturopathic nutritionist and primal health coach. Years of various illnesses relating to gut health led Lisa to investigate her dietary patterns and after qualifying as a nutritionist, more research took her on a journey from vegetarian to carnivore with the result of alleviating all of her symptoms. After suffering an injury to her back many years ago, she turned to strength training to heal her own body and believes that exercise is an important part of overall lifestyle and achieving optimal health. So, Jackie, let's roll the tape. Welcome, Lisa, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to speak to you today. How are you? I'm feeling fabulous. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on. That's great. You're welcome. So what I like to ask my guests start to start off with is where in the world are you? Where in the world am I? I'm up in Bonnie, Scotland. Um, and as you can tell, I'm not Scottish. I'm very English, in fact. But I moved here originally about 24 years ago. My ex-husband and I moved up because he was in the oil industry. Um, we only lived here actually for about 18 months and then we moved abroad for eight years. But we kept the house and when we eventually separated, I came back to the house and I've been back here since 2006. Um, so, yeah, it's a beautiful area. We're up in Deeside, so it's uh, surrounded by mountains and um, countryside. So I'm very lucky. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, my experience of Scotland is currently my in-laws live in Dumfries. Okay. And whenever I go there, it is always raining <laughs> and it can be beautiful sunshine right up until Carlisle and then we cross the border and it's <laughs> Lo and behold. completely mist and rain. I know some areas are like that and um, we're actually quite lucky where we are. Um, having said that we had a day of horrendous rain yesterday. It rained all day and was flooded but today is beautiful. It's cold, it's minus two but it's sunny, it's blue skies, it's crisp, it's, it's really gorgeous. Um, we have a little, where I am, a little kind of microclimate. So it can be, in the summer, it can be the hottest place in the whole country. And it can be the coldest place in the whole country in the winter. So it's it's kind of a little microclimate. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose that's why it is so green up here. We do get a fair amount of rain, but uh, we do get yeah. some nice days as well, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> Good. <laughs> So let's start off with um, how how did you get into? I mean, you're currently carnivore, but you were you you were low carb keto before that. How did you get into it originally? Well, I started off um, doing it. It was purely for health reasons. I was vegetarian for 27 years, and I kind of always said that I felt that I was a natural vegetarian, and that was simply because I didn't like eating as a child. I was a really fussy, picky eater. The main thing I liked eating was eggs, fortunately, because they're very full of nutrition. So that is uh, a, one helpful thing. My mum cooked, you know, home cooked foods. So we had to eat. We had liver and kidney and we did have all of that. I mean, I hated it, but I hated vegetables. I hated everything, really, apart from eggs. 
And when I left home at 16, I just then decided, right, that's it. I can do whatever I like now. So I, I became vegetarian. And I thought I was doing it for all the right reasons, health reasons, animal welfare reasons. There's a lot of cancer in my family and, you know, going back in the history and various relatives. And I just was trying to do the best I could for my health. Little did I know that actually it was degrading my health over, over the years. And I think I'd, I'd been quite sickly as a child. Uh, I had a lot of antibiotics. I had um, severe tonsillitis for years and years and years on and off until um, I eventually had my tonsils removed at the age of 10. Um, but I had loads and loads of antibiotics through those years. And I think they contributed to a lot of dysbiosis and gut permeability. And I've developed, sure. yeah, I know, it's terrible. Um, I developed what I know now was um, obviously the gut permeability, which led me to have problems with things like gluten. So all through my childhood and teenage and adult years, I suffered terribly with, you know, IBS symptoms um, and nobody could put a finger on it. I had lots of examinations. I had endoscopies and barium meal and uh, laparoscopy, all sorts of things. Nobody could find anything wrong. Um, nobody actually even tested for any intolerances um, in, in those times. But um, not standard. It wasn't. It standard wasn't standard at anything. all. No. And um, so it was actually down to myself. You know, when I qualified as a personal trainer and then a nutritionist, I then was doing a lot of research and reading and kind of putting two and two together. And that led me to looking at the paleo diet because I thought I think it's maybe I've got an issue with gluten. So I. I decided to do paleo, but I decided to try it as a vegetarian, which actually mm. wasn't particularly clever because you take out, although you're taking out processed foods, which is great because you're taking out the processed vegetarian type foods, a lot of that is where you get your protein from. And so I was very, very low in protein. I was becoming very low in energy. And as a fitness trainer and instructor, you last thing you need is, is low energy. My gut symptoms were much better because I wasn't taking any any gluten. And in fact, I wasn't. I also found out that I had an issue with dairy and I'd taken out dairy as well. So those two things were resolved. But I was really, really tired, you know, lacking in energy. And the more I researched, the more I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to have to put some meat and fish into my diet. And it wasn't an easy decision because 27 years is a long time. Yes. Um, but I decided that I would try that with just some chicken and fish initially. And honestly, it was like day and night. I just felt so much better with putting that how, in. How long did it take to notice the difference? Oh, within a week. Seriously, within wow. a week. Yeah. I mean, I just had so much more energy. And the other thing that had happened, um, actually not, well, I suppose it when was it? It was about 1997. It was after we just moved up to Scotland, actually. I lost my sense of smell and taste. And it just randomly went. I thought I was getting a cold. The cold never came. But I couldn't smell and taste. And then I went to the doctor. They sent me to a specialist. They looked at my nose, couldn't find anything wrong. Said it's probably allergies. You know, here, take this steroid spray for the rest of your life. <laughs> so well uh, so I took it for a bit but I thought I really don't want to do that and it wasn't making any difference particularly so I just learned to live with it and I had that for 20 years I had no smell and taste Inter so how was how was it to eat it must have been really strange well it was at first <clears throat> I know my ex-husband always used to say why do you bother making any you know nice foods because you can't taste it and I said because it's about the texture as well as anything else um, and you still want to enjoy your food so it becomes more about texture it becomes uh, the one benefit is that you don't because you're not smelling food at random times it doesn't make you hungry so you really do eat when you're hungry <laughs> because you're not smelling like the delicious you know smells that, that might come from cooking that might prompt you to want to eat them yeah, so I guess that's definitely. a benefit um but again I've I've you know, learnt that this was all to do with the gut permeability that I had been experiencing and the fact that I'd also 
uh, had my children very close together. You know, I had I had four children under the age of five at one point because I've got wow. twins. Yeah, so oh, you know, I've got twins. As they, well. Yeah, so they depleted my system. My system obviously wasn't absorbing properly. I was vegetarian, and all these things just kind of built up to be a very nutrient um, deficient, depleted diet. And the gut permeability on top, you know, with all of that, obviously made a big difference. So. I just learned to live with it. Um, interestingly, when I was paleo, I had about six weeks of intermittent smell and taste come back. And I just got very excited thinking, woo, I've done it. Oh my God, this is it. And then it went again. It just disappeared. And I could not work out for the life of me why I was, I tried just about everything. I was fermenting like crazy vegetables. Um, I had, you know, most of my plate <clears throat> was vegetables. I then went, you know, more on a, you know, transitioning to the low carb end. So I took out fruit pretty much, you know, I had odd fruits, you know, mostly berries here and there. I took out most of the starchy stuff and I was, you know, just very low carb. And then I kind of went more to a keto protocol, although I never tracked. I, I you know, I wasn't tracking anything. So, you know, possibly my, my vegetable carb intake was was fairly high but I, I don't really know I wasn't doing um, any tracking at that point when, 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 when was this when you moved this from paleo to keto was about um, I've been kind of on for two years so it was probably about three years ago I would say so I was I was paleo and low carb paleo for quite a few years and then I went more to the keto protocol and then during that time I was reading a lot more research about you know, no carb diet, zero carb, and seeing people like Amber O'Hearn and George Ede talking about, um, you know, how they'd had benefits. I read um, Vilma Stephenson's book, The Fat of the Land. I read Blake Donaldson's book, Strong Medicine, which um, he, as a doctor, was talking about treating people with disease, you know, like arthritis, obesity, type 2 diabetes, with an all meat diet and I just found it so fascinating and having been a vegetarian for so long um, prior to that and even as a as paleo low carb keto having lots of vegetables you know the low carb vegetables and fermented vegetables I couldn't imagine a diet without that on my plate I just couldn't imagine it and so I said to my husband I'm just going to try this for you know maybe a, a two weeks three weeks a month and see what it's like because I just can't imagine not having it on your plate and so I did. And actually, very, very quickly, it I didn't miss them at all. I felt very, very light in my intestines, like really clean is kind of the only way to describe it. And within three weeks, my smell and taste came back. Now, I didn't get excited because I'd been down that road before. <laughs> <clears throat> so I just kind of thought, OK, this is interesting. And I just kept going, basically. I kept going with it. And you know, here I am two years later and I can, I've been, I can smell and taste and I've been able to smell and taste every single day. So it's been an amazing journey, really. So you've gone from one extreme, one to, extreme the other. to the other. Absolutely. My, um, <laughs> my sons can't believe it because they only ever knew me as a vegetarian. And so they, they laugh because of course now I, I eat, you know, I eat pretty much everything at nose to tail animal. And, um, they're just like, well, I can never imagine you having done that before. And, it's so funny. So yeah, one extreme to the other. But my health actually has never been as good as this. I, I'm, you know, it's amazing. So you've been eating carnivore for two years now. Yeah. What would you say to those people that have been, we've all been brainwashed in believing that vegetables are an important part and fruit, particularly vegetables mm -hmm. are an important part of our diet. What would you say to those people where they feel that you're Cutting out all those important mm, out sources an important of food group um, yes. and all those vitamins and minerals. <laughs> well, from the reading that I've done, um, I can absolutely say that you can get everything you need in animal-based foods. Absolutely everything you need. And although obviously uh, vegetables, plant foods do have, of course they do have um, vitamins and minerals in them. But they are generally far less bioavailable in the body. So we may not actually absorb them anyway. 
The anti-nutrients that they often have, like the lectins, the phytates, the oxalates, can, can sometimes block your absorption of them. And they can also block the absorption from your other foods. So for example, if you're having a lot of spinach and you think, wow, I'm going to get all the iron and, and I'm going to have some liver because that's also iron, the oxalates in the spinach can actually block your absorption of the iron from both foods. Um, mm. You know, we see this as a, there's a... Um, there's a very good study that shows the absorption of zinc from oysters. And from oysters on their own, it's fantastic absorption. You add in other vegetable foods and the, the absorption goes down and down and down and down. Um, so, you know, I think we can, we assume that more is better. We assume that what we've been told is true. But actually, you know, the whole five a day thing came from the agricultural community deciding how they would get people to eat more fruit and veg let's give yes. them a number there's no statistical evidence for that at all so it's nonsense uh, i'm not saying that people shouldn't have it and if they like it that's fine but i think fruit particularly is the one thing that you know people think that they have you give them five a day they're going to eat more fruit than they're going to eat vegetables and they think it's a free ticket but this is the one thing that we see so problematic you know fruit is available in the summer that's when we're supposed to eat it if we're going to eat it because it's there on the bushes on the trees and we eat it and we you know evolutionarily would eat as much as we could we'd grow fat for the winter when food was scarce now we've got it all year round all the time we're eating copious amounts of it we're eating it you know all all the time in um all seasons and we're surprised that we're we're getting fat from it, but it's it's not meant to be eaten like that. Mm. Um, and so yeah, I think I mean again, if you told me that years ago as a vegetarian, I probably would have laughed in your face. But I think we we learn so much on these journeys, and you know, I read as I say, I read a lot. I do a lot of research. I I I don't take things lightly. I don't do things on a whim. Um, I do want to know um, as much as I can about what I'm doing and what I'm advising and and just keep learning and I do think that you know there's nobody in the carnival community that's suffering from scurvy there's you know the the RDAs again are very different we don't know what the RDAs are for people eating the way that I'm eating because that's never been studied so no. I'm not needing as much vitamin C for example because the vitamin C competes with glucose for uptake in the body. I don't take in any glucose, so I don't need as much vitamin C. You know, there's lots of nuances, which is what people need to really understand. Yes, and you need to bear in mind that when you're not eating this, particularly the, the gluten and the wheat and the sugar foods, mm. that everything is affected differently in the body. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Your hormones are working very differently and uh, and it's all, you know, it's a whole holistic machinery and organism that we are. And if you take something, you know, you subtract something, then it's not necessarily harmful. It doesn't mean you then have to put in something else. It's, you know, as I said, it's very nuanced. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about nose-to-tail eating. Nose-to-tail eating, I think, uh, for me anyway, I think is quite important because... One, I think you're getting, you know, whole whole animal nutrients you can't necessarily get in just one cut of meat. I know there are plenty of people in the zero carb community who have only done that, and I I have complete respect for that. I think you absolutely can get, you know, what you need from animal foods generally. But for me, I feel that I want a, a wider variety of of the nutrients that these foods can offer and I also think it's more ethical if you're going to eat animal foods you're going to eat an animal kill an animal then you should make the whole use Eatable. of it I really yeah. think you should and there's so many benefits in things like bone broth in bone marrow um, making sure you eat the fats the liver the heart you know all these things have different nutrients in them and you know I think you're you're then making the most of of what that whole animal has to offer and I think that's just brilliant and I think ethically it's a much better way to eat you know I don't want to be wasting any part of that animal that died for the for me to eat it yeah and I think we've lost some of that I mean we still eat quite a lot of I mean not me personally I eat more than my family but mm. we 
as a society have cut out a lot of the awful eating Oh, definitely. Um, so it hasn't become, it's not normal anymore, no, whereas it's maybe not. 50 I, years ago it was yeah. very normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I grew up, as I said before, I mean, I didn't like any of it because I was a difficult eater, but we had liver, we had kidney, you know, we had all those things. And, you know, my mum would make soup from, you know, bones and stock and, and all the rest of it, homemade. And we did eat really well, you know, we um, we did. And we have now made it less normal you know people look at what I'm eating even my husband who completely respects the way that I eat you know and he and he totally understands that it's it's irrational that he thinks oh you know if I'm eating a bit of brain or oh if I'm eating you know heart or something he totally recognizes that that is an irrational thought because then he'll eat you know a bit of leg (laughs) you know what's the difference really but we've just made it, we're not connected to our food anymore. We're not connected to where it comes from. And I don't mean we have to go around, you know, necessarily teaching children the complete ins and outs of, you know, death and animals. But I do think it's important that they do know where it comes from. I do think it's important that there is this realistic view of where your food comes from. And that means, you know, whether you're eating locally, whether you're eating foods that come from from another part of the world. I mean, the way that I eat is extremely sustainable. You know, people talk about sustainability in animal foods, but actually I have a very low carbon footprint from my my eating. I eat very local um, and I eat the whole animal and it's not traveling around the world to get to me. It's, yep. it's, you know, mostly grass-fed and pastured, so I know that it's, you know, it's uh, sustainable in that way. And, you know, we all can see now that the, the statistics of livestock and contributing to climate change is, is ridiculously inflated. So, so basically, I have hardly any waste. I don't throw things away. My food doesn't come in plastic. It doesn't travel across the world. You know, if you're eating almonds and almond milk in an effort to avoid... You know, which I've done all that. I've done the almond milk. I've done the the eating all of that. But that those foods travel across the world on planes, <laughs> and you yeah. know, it's it's you don't think about these things. So the whole nose to tail thing, the whole sustainability thing, and the animal welfare is still extremely important to me. Probably more so than it's ever been, even though I am eating an animal. And I just think that actually, I contribute to less death because of the amount that I eat I don't eat a great deal because I don't need to because it's very um uh you know satiating so I'm only eating twice a day I'm not hungry I'm not starving I'm I'm very well nourished because I'm eating very nutrient-rich foods great yeah so what's what's the difference between carnivore and keto carnivore well it's really for me it's about being more um making sure that you definitely are in a higher level of ketosis, I guess. Generally speaking, when you're carnivore, you pretty much will be in ketosis, and that will be nutritional ketosis, which is a lower level of ketones. When you do more of a keto carnivore, it tends to be a higher fat range, so it'd be more something like two to one fat to protein, and then you necessarily will get higher ketones. Now, whether that's important or not is debatable, I think it's it's important if you have neurological degenerative diseases. I think possibly the higher ketone levels are really important. I've just basically done a an eight-month experiment. So I've been carnivore for two years. Most of the time, at the beginning, I was just eating, you know, whatever, however much I wanted. I wasn't tracking anything, just eating uh, animal foods um, to satiety. And then I decided to try the keto carnivore approach. So eating two to one, measuring, weighing, tracking, and seeing how that went. I was interested to do it for, yes, the ketone effects, also to do it for body composition, to to see how that worked um, for energy levels, just sort of um, as an interest, really. So I've done that for eight months, and I've tracked everything. It's been really interesting. My ketone levels obviously much higher, but then they will be because they're relying on the fact that you're eating a lot of fat, or even though you're not eating huge amount of food, um, it's very satiating. But I'm now dipping back towards going more towards a higher protein 
protocol so that I'm now lessening the fat and the energy ratio and hiring the protein. And again, because I'm very active, for me, it's quite interesting to see how these things affect my body composition, um, my muscle ratio to, you know, to fat mass ratio. So it's just really um, of interest, really, and just seeing how it goes. And I've just found it really fascinating. I think I think it's probably more important to, you know, with something like a carnivore, whether it's keto or not, is is your glucose levels and making sure that they are low. I think if you have low glucose, you've got low fasting insulin, then you are going to be in some kind of ketosis. Is it important that you have high ketones? I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody really knows how high they should be or shouldn't be. And I think if you are in ketosis, then you're getting the benefits of that. So, you know, it's just a fascinating area, really. So what are you looking to learn from trying higher protein now? Well, I'm looking, I've, I've listened a lot to um, Dr. Ted Naiman, and obviously his protocol is the PPE ratio, so your protein to energy ratio, which makes a lot of sense. What I want to do personally, I've, I haven't lost any uh, muscle mass, but I find it quite hard to gain muscle mass. And I just want to see whether I can lean down, not that I massively need to, because, you know, I'm, I have a good um, body composition anyway, but just lean down a little bit and just try and build my lean mass a little bit more. I mean, my body composition is pretty good and I do a lot of resistance training, but I just want to see if I can edge and nudge that up a little bit. And I also am interested in the satiety point of view, because I did find that I was very satiated with the two to one ratio with the fat but I did also find that sometimes I would crave more and um and assume that it was fat rather than protein but I think possibly it was actually that I was craving more protein Protein. and I now that I've switched over and it's only been um a week so it's early days but I have found that um I am very satiated with the and my protein is is a lot higher and I have found that satiation level to be um higher and so it's just yeah it's very interesting to see how it's how it's going and I am tracking this time too which I didn't do before with the early carnival so that's the other reason I want to see how how that correlates as well I'm really interested to know because when I've tried carnival and I've tried it a couple of times I found it I found that I was really hungry, much hungrier than on keto. Mm. So how are you getting the fats to make it a two-to-one ratio? Well, it's purely from the animal fats, so eating suet and pork fat and um, uh, bone marrow, things like that. And I found, which again was very interesting, that yes, the different, ty- the different types of fats definitely have different um, qualities to them. And I find that beef fat is very satiating especially suet and I eat it raw or you know if it's basically if I'm I I either eat very rare steaks or I have eaten raw steak too I eat the fat generally raw in a hard state because I find it much better to digest uh, and if you look on something like chronometer and you put in beef fat, and you put in suet, which is also a beef fat, but it comes from around the kidneys, you'll see that the suet is far denser. So it will actually fill you up more than the actual beef fat around the muscle. So it's very interesting how the different fats are, you know, more satiating than others. So you just eat it raw? Yep. (laughs) It sounds horrible, but it actually isn't. Um, It's very sort of how to how to explain crumbly or it's just really nice and actually i i do i do a lot of smoked foods cold smoked so what i do is i i add salt and i process up the suet and i put it in my cold smoker so it's got a really nice salty um smoky texture to it as well so i use that quite a lot which is is nice and i do the same with the bone marrow so again i have raw bone marrow but I've I've smoked it, cold smoked it, and then I add some salt, and it's basically like cream, like a thick cream, and it's absolutely delicious. It's like a cross between cream and pate, and it's absolutely gorgeous, uh, and it's so beneficial. So you get your fats that way. So again, you can add 
If you're doing a two to one, you would add a bit more fat on your plate than you would have to protein. The way I'm doing it now is still obviously getting my fats the same way through the animal fats, but I'm um, using uh, less of it. So I might not necessarily add extra fat. I just have the fat that comes with the meat. Or I might have, for example, if I'm having salmon, then I may have a little bit of bone marrow on top. And I may also have some cod liver, um, fresh cod liver, which is delicious. So yeah, that, that's how I would I would add it to my food. Mm, and, you know, I do, I think a lot of the time, you know, when you say that you weren't, you didn't feel satisfied, I think it can come from not having had enough of something. It's either the protein or the fat. And it just depends, you know, without looking at what was on your plate, it'd be difficult to, to really work out what that was. And different meats and different things are have a different level of satiation from what I've experienced anyway. Mm, yeah I'm, I'm I'm gonna maybe give it another go at some point yeah I mean <laughs> out of interest I find eggs whole eggs really really satiating incredibly filling so I'm now whereas I was having a lot of egg yolks before to add to up my fat I'm now having more whole eggs and boy it is really yeah I get so full <laughs> it's amazing yeah I probably I think I maybe just need to eat more Yes, maybe. Than, yes, um, maybe you do. Yeah. And sometimes I worry. No, I probably. I don't know. I sometimes think I eat too much. So. Who knows? <laughs> I think. Who knows? I think things like. Um, see, I don't eat dairy because it doesn't. You know, it's like gluten. I can't, especially pasteurized dairy. I it gives me stomach pains. If I can eat raw dairy without having stomach pains, but interestingly, it must do something to my gut permeability because it starts affecting my smell and taste. And that starts going down. So I don't do dairy. Ooh. Yeah. So you've got a quick way of knowing when you... Quick way do. of knowing. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have asked me if I would go back and put vegetables in. But the fact that I can even see that with dairy, which is an animal food, I don't even want to try because I'm so enjoy my food now. Enjoy everything, being able to smell and taste. Why would I want to jeopardize that? But yeah. I do think people can, you know, if it's weight loss that's your goal, then dairy can hinder that for sure. And other than the uh, smell and taste, what other benefits did you notice changing the way of eating? Energy, energy levels, definitely. Um, I mean, uh, it's funny. Uh, one of my customers calls me Tigger um, because I'm always <laughs> <laughs> bouncing around. And I think, you know, it's not, it's not that I've, I've ever been terribly lacking in energy, particularly. It's not that I've, I've never been... Um, you know, massively overweight. I've never had an issue like that that would drain my energy. But I now really do have what feels like unlimited energy. And sure, I get, of course, I get tired. You work hard and you you're exercising, you know, a lot or or whatever you're doing, and you you certainly get tired. But but I I yeah, I don't crash and burn. I rarely rarely well, I never do. So it's that definitely has been an, an amazing benefit and right. and just the I think the clarity of mind as well people often talk about you know keto bringing this clearness uh and I definitely think that's that's very true I think and I think it's again it's the energy in your brain it's the fact that you you're not your brain's not tired and you're able to think clearly you're not depleting yourself in fact you're, mm, you're doing yeah. the opposite you know you're providing lots of energy so you're a fitness instructor. How does that fit in with your lifestyle? Very well. <laughs> What's, I mean, why why would you say that? Well, I you know I I never used to exercise at all. In fact, I'd look at all the people around me going mad on exercise and thinking, really, are you joking me? What you want me to do that? <laughs> I know um, it's an interesting thing. Actually, I have changed. It's one of those things that uh, I sometimes get frustrated with. When I go to conferences, and, I, and to be fair, I'm going a lot to nutritional conferences, so of course they're going to be talking about nutrition. But a lot of the time, there seems to be this idea that exercise doesn't matter because people can lose weight without doing exercise, which absolutely they can. Exercise is not a weight yes. loss tool; it's not. No. But it gives. It, there's so many benefits to exercise. So many. Interestingly, I'm preparing a, a presentation on um, mitochondrial health and nutrition and carnivore lifestyle and how exercise is part of that too. 
And it affects your the, the health of your mitochondria. It affects your, obviously, uh, increasing your muscle mass if you're doing strength training, which, in my opinion, everybody should be doing, young and old. You know, the more muscle mass, the more lean muscle tissue you have, the healthier you are going to be. And you can only get that through resistance training. You know, you could do all the... This is why you see women in particular doing tons of cardio and, you know, running on treadmills, going to the gym, and all they do is cardio, 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 and they never see any changes at all in their health. Uh, in fact, it could go worse, and they don't certainly don't do, see any changes in weight loss. And that's because they're not altering their muscle mass, which is the most important thing. You know, sarcopenia, osteopenia, bone density... All of those things are related to, um, yes, your nutrition, but also to exercise and resistance training in particular. Doing, you don't have to do loads of it. This is the thing. People think they've got to spend hours in the gym, but actually you don't. If you tax your muscles to the extreme, you do high intensity resistance training and maybe some high intensity cardio, which is, is short. Your body can't take prolonged durations of these things because you are literally taxing your muscles to the limit. And then, yeah. so it's a short, it should be short, sharp workouts. Uh, it's so beneficial, so beneficial. And you can, you can do no cardio training at all if you're doing proper strength training and you'll get all the cardio benefits from cardio exercise through strength training if you do it properly. So if somebody's over 70, mm -hmm. is it too late to start exercising? Absolutely not. And, and thankfully and interestingly, I've got this year, funnily enough, I've had quite a few um, people in their 70s come to me to start strength training because they've suddenly realized how weak they are and how debilitated that makes them for, for leading normal, healthy lives. Um, and it's never too late. There's studies that show people starting in their 80s can improve their bone density and their muscle mass. And so, yeah, it's never too late. You'd be surprised how quickly, if you're doing um, resistance training properly, how quickly you will see benefits. Yeah, it's so important. And for those, for those older people, I mean, quite often what happens is because their muscles are atrophying in a way mm -hmm. um they then start to fall over and then they start breaking their bones Absolutely. and then that just makes them well, even more vulnerable definitely and that you know statistics show that actually people that have osteopenia which is you know thinning and crumbling of the bones or sarcopenia which is muscle mass wastage um yes if they if they fall and break a hip they may never even make it back out of hospital that's how serious yeah. it is. Um, whereas if you've got somebody that is regularly doing some form of strength training, and yes, it doesn't mean that they might never break something, but you're far less likely to. And if you do, you are far more likely to then come out of that hospital and be able to get on with your life. Because it's it's such muscle mass is such an important part of health. And they're now, you know, thinking that this should be something that is included in, you know, vital kind of signs, if you like, when, when we go for a checkup at the at the doctors, that muscle mass should be taken into consideration because it is so important for our for our life and health span. Yeah. And as is stress reduction and yeah, sleeping. Sleep, yeah, sleep. I mean, the thing is, that's the that's an important point because, you know, you can, this is why it's not good to overtrain. If you start going and doing too much exercise, it's the converse, you know, you do too much and then your body doesn't get a chance to recover properly. And if you're not sleeping properly, you've not got proper sleep hygiene patterns, then you're not giving your body chance to actually grow and to actually adapt you know, there's the, the SAID principle, which is the spe specific adaptation to impose demands. So your body will adapt when you put demand on it that is greater than what it's used to. It has to then adapt to that demand. But if you don't give it sufficient rest, it's not going to be able to. And it'll end up breaking down your, you know, your, your lean muscle tissue in order to use the protein. So again, if you're not eating enough protein, which... A lot of people are not, especially women. They're afraid of red meat. They're afraid of eating protein, especially older people who really need it. You know, that protein is essential to help rebuild what you're breaking down when you go into the gym. So if you don't 
put that back into your body, your body's going to use your own muscle tissues to repair it. So you're never going to then see the improvements. You know, you're bre- breaking down, breaking down, breaking down and never rebuilding. And yes, sleep is part of that, that recovery, making sure the hormones reset and everything's working properly. But nutrition, obviously, really important too. Mm. So you, you on your website have got some kettlebell courses i do yes i'm thinking of taking one of those well that's great um i suggest you start with beginners (laughs) um i yeah basically i um kettlebells is something that i i think are very very effective training tool because they're so versatile and you actually don't need uh, a lot of space for it so you can do it in your own home you don't need to have loads of equipment you might need just a couple of kettlebells especially in the beginning But it's also something that I see done wrongly quite often. You know, lots of, you know, there's some fantastic YouTube videos out there with some great um, instructors, but there's equally some that are not so good. And you see the, the movement, particularly the swing, performed incorrectly. And that's the last thing you want to do is have a weight in your hand and perform a movement incorrectly. And especially as we get older, and especially if we then not got the strength, and as we've talked about, you know, sarcopenia and osteopenia, you need to be safe. So for me, it was really important to develop a a program online so people didn't have to go anywhere. It's not, you know, horrendously expensive. You can do it in your own home and do it, learn it properly. So it goes through the very, very basics of of how to do the swing, all the different movements, um, and you end up in the whole program being able to go from never having picked up a kettlebell to doing complete workouts and in a really safe manner. And then I've got now an intermediate program, which I've just finished recording and editing, which is just up now as well, so that when you finish that, you can then progress to the next level and and obviously I'll, I'll be doing an advanced course as well but for me it's really important to make sure people are doing it properly really really important yeah I mean I decided a long time ago that um probably more than 10 years ago that I wanted to live to 107 that's and an interesting age why 107 <laughs> I have no idea where I picked that out from but I'm 40 years older than my kids so I decided that I needed to be 107 to see them grow up and mm-hmm. maybe have some grandkids as well. Fair enough. But what I never thought about is how do I want to be up until recently? How do I want to be when I get to 107? Yes, this is what people because don't think need, about. <laughs> need the quality of life. And I heard somebody on a podcast recently and he was saying that he has, I think it's 100, reason, 100 things he wants to be able to do when he's 100. Wow. And... Things included being able to take a small case and put it up in the aeroplane cabin. And these are the things we need to be able to do when we're going to get older. And we need to be able to stand up and sit down to wipe our own butts Mm -hmm. and do things like that. We don't want to be reliant on other people when Mm -hmm. we get to that age. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is crucial. Um, It's part of how I approach my training. It's very much about functionality. Uh, it's really about all those things. We, we need to be able to put our own, carry our own bag, put it up in the overhead locker if you're traveling somewhere, be able to walk, be able to pick up stuff, be able to sit down, stand up. The amount of people, young people, clients that I've had come through my door who um, cannot sit down and stand up easily. It's just what? shocking. I mean, onto the floor and back up again. Let and then these are not necessarily older people. I mean, I do have older people who struggle, and older some older people who are, who are much better. But I'm talking about younger people as well who struggle to get down and up from the floor. And this is shocking in our society. It's a natural movement that we should be able to do easily. Um, you know, there's there's so much that we can do. That to improve our quality of life and it's you know people talk about longevity how long you're going to live and how we can do that but it should be more about how well we can live what is our health span not our lifespan the health span you know if you're going to live to 107 and you can't do anything for yourself and you're lying in a bed and switched on to machines what's the point of that but if you're 107 and your brain is functioning and your limbs are functioning and you've got some quality of life then fantastic that's but equally so you could not have lived quite so long but have a really good 
health span right up until the day you drop dead. You know, I think that's what it's about. Um, and there's so many things that come into that. And nutrition and fitness for me are the two ways that I try and help people to achieve that. Well, up until two and a half years ago, I couldn't, I could get down on the floor, but it was a struggle and it was a struggle to get up. I needed to lean on something yes. to be able to get up. Yeah. And even sometimes getting out of the couch, I'd get my kids to pull me up. But since I've changed the way I'm eating and just changed the way I'm eating, actually, mm-hmm. I could get mm-hmm. down and up much easier. Yeah. Put in some exercise on top of that and it's so yeah. much better. Absolutely. It's still not great. I'm still not fantastic. No, but, but you'll get there. You will get there and you're determined and um, add in some kettlebells. <laughs> Who knows? Because <laughs> And actually for the kettlebells is not just about you know, you've got the cardio side of that, you've got the, um, because it gets your heart rate right up, you've got the strength side, but it's fantastic for core strength, really, really good for core strength. Um, and that's, you know, what we, we absolutely need to have is uh, good core strength. And what about diet? How do you see when, once you get over 40, and maybe even older, how do you see some of those differences to being younger? And what challenges um, that's, a, that's a good question because I think especially women especially see this uh, it's far more challenging for women particularly if you're looking at weight loss because of our hormones um, you know once we start reaching the age of menopause then you know our hormones are changing we're um, a lot lower in estrogen and we generally can find it a lot harder to lose weight and it can be very frustrating you see men do this you know intermittent fasting or a keto diet and they drop weight like a stone uh, we do exactly the same thing and it doesn't happen and you know it's a very frustrating very frustrating thing I mean having not been keto or carnivore obviously at a younger age it's difficult to for me to compare myself how it might have been but I do know for me personally that you know I'm, I'm 52 and a couple of years ago definitely I started um, entering the, the menopause um, and because I was already low carb keto I didn't really have very many symptoms particularly I had about a week where I experienced some hot flushes very brief but actually, interestingly, once I had then started carnivore, they completely went. Um, mm. And I haven't had any, any at all since then. So, you know, I last had a period two, two years ago. So just after actually I'd started carnivore and, and it was basically it had started just being very, very, very light for, hard, you know, hardly even one day. I didn't have heavy irregular periods I didn't have you know um, breast pain or difficulties that I see so many people have I just um, you know I I do attribute it to diet and exercise I, I really do and I feel that I'm coming out the other side um, and you know I've, I've experienced it really really well and I just think you know Diet and exercise are so understated in health, and I think probably particularly in nutrition. You know, you go to the doctor and the last thing they're going to ask you is what what you're eating, particularly. You take a dog to the vet with issues that are similar to, you know, menopause or whatever, and they'll say, what are you feeding it? We never get asked that. And I don't believe, I think as, as we get older... I don't believe we are meant to suffer in the way that when so many women seem to be suffering with, you know, the changes in life and the changes in hormones. I just can't believe that that was how we were anthropologically, even evolutionarily meant to be, that women were suddenly going to be in this decrepit, painful, debilitated state. And, you know, unfortunately, there's not enough studies that have been done on, you know, hunter-gatherers or uh, people that don't eat the modern way that we eat. There's not enough. There's not hardly any. I mean, I've searched for it in the literature and there's nothing. So it's difficult to say, but I, I can't imagine that that was actually how it's meant to be. And the more that I see of women eating, you know, a low carb keto carnivore type diet, intermittent fasting, which comes naturally really when you're, when you're eating that way, because you're eating less and less often, the more I see women doing that, the better 
their health status is as they're getting older, the more easily they're able to lose weight, the more the less symptoms they're having of menopause. You know, I'm I'm seeing this and and I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. Definitely, yeah. Great. So before we come to the end of the last few questions I'm going to ask you, mm-hmm. how can people get in contact with you? Well, I have a website, which is lisabaileyhealth.com. And if you visit that website, then obviously you can um, press all the icons on there, but I'm, which will lead you to my social media. I'm on Twitter, which is at lbaileyhealth. Um, I'm on Instagram, lisabaileyhealth. I'm on Facebook, lisabaileyhealth. And um, obviously you can email me uh, from that as well, which is lisa at lisabaileyhealth.com. So as long as you remember Lisa Bailey Health somewhere along the line, you'll probably <laughs> you find, find me. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. What resources would you recommend to people? Any books or podcasts that you love that you'd yeah, really recommend um, to anyone? I think, I think we're really lucky now that we've got so much available I mean, you know, I love reading. I've always loved reading. So books are really important to me. And as I said before, if you're interested in something like carnivore, you're dubious, you don't know where to start. Even reading something like um, Strong Medicine by, by Blake Donaldson is a great and very interesting book because he was a doctor treating people with an all meat diet. <clears throat> and it's just really fascinating. I love the principles of Weston A. Price. So, you know, uh, neurodegeneration and physical um, degeneration. His book was amazingly ahead of its time. And, you know, I, I, I've started off reading, obviously, all the the basic paleo books when I first started out. So Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint, Rob Wolf, Paleo Solution. So all of those, you know, I've read, I mean, I've read a ton of books. I think if you are looking at keto specifically, then I think somebody like Maria Emmerich is extremely good. I've met her a couple of times. She's a lovely person and she's she's been doing this for 20 years. Um, she, she knows a thing or two and I think her books are really helpful and she's obviously got her cookbooks too, which is, is helpful. Podcast-wise, there's, again, so many of them, which is, we've got yours now, which is really good. <laughs> um, I love the HPO podcast, which is uh, Sean Baker and Zach Vitter. They have had some very interesting guests on. Peak Human, again, has been a very interesting one. I just like to, basically, I look for health, wellness, fitness, and just kind of search through and and see what I want to listen to. And I I quite often listen when I'm out walking my dogs because it's the one time that I get peace and quiet to to just kind of just take it all in, really, because I'm busy the rest of the day. But I think podcasts are great. They're really, really helpful. So I yeah. would really recommend. You said you listened to the time. Ted Naiman one as well. Yes, yes. Um, he's. I think he's. He's a um, coming out with some really good stuff. I just got uh, read his book actually, the new book that he did with William Shufeld. And again, it's not anything particularly that I didn't know, but it's just. I think things like that sometimes can just reinforce what you're thinking and give you maybe a slightly different perspective and and just it's just interesting i like in reading different interesting um things i read a lot of papers because i'm doing a lot of research for presentations and things like that so i do get my head buried in a lot in a mound of <laughs> um research papers too but again you just learn so much it's great mm, yeah so looking back on your keto carnivore journey what if anything would you do differently that's a very interesting thing I think I wish I could have started a lot earlier that's probably my main thing if I'd known you know if I'd known years ago what I know now things would have been very very different because um, I would have brought up my children differently and I think I would have you know had better health myself but you know you can say all that but actually it's through all these mistakes if you like that you have the learning process and it's through failure that you achieve success. So I don't know that I would change anything necessarily because I think you do learn so much when you are trying things out. I think trying things out, seeing what works for you is really important. We are all human. So I do think that a basic human appropriate diet is suitable for everyone, but we all have our own individualities too whether that's whether you're sedentary whether you're moving whether you're you have gut dysbiosis all the different things that we we 
we experience. We are all different in, in lots of different ways. And so individuality is important too. And I think, you know, I think just learning along the way is really important for everybody and, and we'll all probably come to slightly different conclusions. Yes. And I, yeah, I agree that maybe even if you'd heard about it years ago, I, oh, I would, you might yes, not have been in I a place absolutely to... absolutely wouldn't have been. I mean, as a, as a staunch vegetarian, there's no way I would have been, you know, and, and as I say, unless I knew intrinsically what I've I've learnt now then absolutely I wouldn't have, have changed anything and and you know and I'm not dogmatic I, I you know I'm a nutritionist I help people and I help them from where they're coming from I don't try and say right you need to eat a carnivore diet um, you know I'm, I'm meeting them where they're at and looking at what their issues are and helping them to decide what's right for them and where I can help them you know I don't try and push things on people don't think I, anyone has the right to do that and I, I just try and inform people I try and educate people and I ultimately try and help people achieve better health yeah great and so what three tips would you give to someone starting a low carb or keto or even wanting to try carnival number one I would say be patient and give it time because I think all too Often you see people, I've, I've done it for two weeks and I feel horrible and it doesn't work for me. And it's like, well, actually, <laughs> your body needs time to adjust. So I think you need to be patient with yourself, give yourself time to adjust, give your body time to adjust um, and ease into something. I also think it's important, probably a second thing would be to try and avoid substituting foods that you would normally eat and I did this it's a very common thing you want to have the healthier version of bread and I want the healthier version of cheesecake or I want the healthier version of this but actually you just end up eating very similarly they may be healthier versions but you're still going through that addictive cycle of I need yes. to have this kind of comfort food and I think that's really important to step away from it should be about looking at your your nutrition very differently from that and food is very sociable don't get me wrong it is but I think we need to step away a little bit from the trying to substitute this for that all the time and and I think thirdly I think really we need to embrace that it's a lifestyle it's not a short-term fix it's not a I'm going to do this for three weeks and then everything's fine or I'm going to lose weight and then I'll be able to go back to what, what I did because invariably you won't um, no. And I see people do this not only with nutrition, but they do it with fitness. They come to me, they do a program, they do fantastically well. They're building strength, they're losing weight, they're rebody compositioning, and they go away. And I and often if they do a program, then they end up with a program they can take home with them. But they don't do it, and then they lose everything, <laughs> everything they worked hard for, and it's so sad. And you know, it's a lifestyle change. Embrace it as a new thing, as a new way of living, really living your life to the full. You know, having the energy, having the zest for life with this new way of being. Taking control of your own health because ultimately no one else is going to do that for you. You know, I can, I can help somebody as much as I can, but at the end of the day, it's down to them to continue yes. that. And it's down to each of us to really promote our own health. And all those foods that we've eaten over the years that have got us to that point where we're at, where we're desperately trying to change, mm. if we go back to eating them, we're just going to... We're going to go back to back, where we were, absolutely. Back to where we were, and yeah. possibly even in a worse state, because yeah. once you start losing weight, if you're losing, if you're doing it for losing weight, once you start losing weight, then you just gain it back and more. Yes, and, you know, to so, go into this, the diet mentality, diets, you know, diet is the word we use for uh, any animal's nutritional intake that is a diet you don't diet to to be on a short-term strange way that's that's not going to benefit you in the long term it should be a long-term lifestyle way of eating that you find sustainable that fits your goals that um you know achieves really good health that's what diet to me is it's it's a way of eating that is nutritionally the best way for a human being to to live and i think you know if we can try and turn our heads to to thinking that way then uh, we'll all be a lot healthier great 
So, Lisa, thank you for coming on the Fabulously Keto podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Great to have you and really insightful. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely to chat with you. So thanks very much for having me on. And good luck with the whole podcast because it sounds like it's going to be a very exciting way forward for you. Thank you. Well, Jackie, another insightful journey. Um, It's so inspiring how Lisa was able to obviously have this reflective moment to work out that some things in her life, you know, her vegetarian way of eating wasn't actually helping her. And so often, you know, I know that there's people in the low-carb community that have had a similar change, like a complete, you know, 180 on their way of eating. We saw that with Audrey as well in episode number four. And there's an American lady, which we'll link to the show notes, Amber O'Hearn, who also was a vegetarian and is a, is a carnivore, who was able to obviously, you know, for her, it was about her mental health. So for, for Amber, who was able to sort of recognise that um, this way of eating was not working for her. But I think the hardest thing is, is obviously, you know, we too, we were eating low-fat, healthy whole grains. Yeah, I, um, I totally believe. I totally believe that vegetarian was the way to be, to be healthy. I just couldn't do it, and I, I did try. I mean, for about nine months, I, I did. I was vegetarian, not eating enough protein. I think we mentioned this before, but that's I totally bought into that um, way of being. Now, we still have lots of people that are vegetarian, are vegan and keto. It is doable. I've just now accepted that it's not the way for me. Hmm. And there is this phenomenon about the cognitive dissonance and that's really where that you get stuck in this closed mindset that you aren't able to accept um, the information that is able to sort of challenge these long-held beliefs. And where we see these paradigms are quite fixed for people that they can't accept this new information because it obviously challenges the fundamental basis of their very existence. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously very hard for, for some people. But, but we, then we see these but then we see these inspiring, you know, case studies where people have sort of gone, Well, hey, this isn't right and we're gonna be reflecting and evaluating and looking and challenging. And um, yeah, it's 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 quite insightful and a very mature approach. Yeah, it takes a strong person to do that, to challenge mm-hmm. something that you've held as a belief for twenty seven years. And we also have seen that with with Tim Noakes when he was you know very famously ripping out the pages about carbohydrates in his um, in his textbook. So where he was actually sort of saying, well, that was wrong, <laughs> that was wrong, and here is this eminent sports physician researcher. <laughs> You know, just completely, um, obviously saying, oh, I was wrong, and that's right. It takes a very brave person to say that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you were inspired to get some kettlebells. I was. I I need to work on my strength, I think. And um, I did get the, I bought the kettlebell cure, and I have started it, and I'm just going through the exercises, but I've decided now, that it wasn't my main focus of exercise and I've decided now to make it quite an important part of my exercise regime. So I'm going to be ordering uh, some slightly heavier kettlebells and the chalk and everything that I need. Oh, you're a brave woman. So (laughs) I commend you on your commitment to kettlebell training. When I was in Chelmsford in Essex and I was going to the, the strength and conditioning gym they would use the kettlebells as part of a farmer's walk. So you'd be carrying these very heavy, like 16-pound kettlebells up and down. So, um, yeah, you're a braver woman than I am. Well, I'm starting on low weights. I've been practicing with a 4-kilo, and now I'm going to go for a 6-kilo one. So just building up slowly. But we have our our sprinkle, sprinkle is the water, the water delivery bottles and they're at least what 18 litres so that's 18 kilos so I do have to lift them up when they get delivered on a Tuesday so that's that's my <laughs> contribution to uh, my weight training. training my weight training so Jackie where can we get the show notes for Lisa's episode we can find Lisa's episode at fabulouslyketo.com 
forward slash podcast forward slash zero zero nine. Great. Hey, Jackie. You know, when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweetness? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.